Welcome to the Cambridge Tech Podcast, talking all things technology from the heart of the UK's tech capital. Here are your hosts, Faye Holland and James Parton. Hi, I'm Faye. And I'm James. So, Faye, what have you been up to this week? I have been out and about quite a lot. I've had a board meeting with the Cambridgeshire Chambers of Commerce. Um, I've run the comms clinic at the Bradfield Centre, um, run the marketing SIG for Cambridge Science Park, special interest group. Obviously, lots of client work. But, you know, my pièce de résistance, I think, this week was one of my LinkedIn posts. I posted a picture of a jacket potato, and I reckon I was the only person that day who posted a picture of a jacket potato. I did see that, and I appreciate you shouting out the Bradfield Centre. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out why you always order the same thing when you go there, but there you go. I know, I know. Culture of habit. You'll have to read the post, people, and, and find out what on earth I'm talking about. So, yeah, it was a good week, actually. Lots of really good conversations. What about you? Yeah, I mean, similar. Uh, yeah, I had a very similar week to you, uh, just lots of conversations with interesting people. So, like uh, like your LinkedIn post said, um, you know, I caught up with Alex Hughes from Inspire to Ignite. Um, really interesting conversation. Um, also caught up with James Adams, who I think you met for the first time, who uh, is the CEO of Tech Educators. So they've been running their cohort now to train young adults and career change adults in coding and 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 kind of different technologies. And uh, got some data actually off James this week from the first cohort, and it's just so impressive. It's like a hundred percent of the attendees had job interviews. And considering the cohort only closed about two or three weeks ago, that's impressive in itself. And already 40% of them have been offered jobs. So that's, uh, that's incredible. Yeah, so that's, that's a really nice thing. And um, just things are really starting to ramp up on the Trinity Bradfield Prize. So I've not mentioned that for a while. But uh, if you're listening and you are at the University of Cambridge or you know someone at the University of Cambridge in your team, then you are eligible to enter. And you should. <laughs> it's... Uh, it's one of the leading uh, competitions across the university for tech and life sciences. There's a whole raft of different cash prizes on offer, mentoring support, free workshops. Um, and if you want to know more, just go to trinitybradfieldprize.co.uk. The closing date is the 31st of October. Okay, so they've got to get moving as well then, haven't they? 31st of October? That's right, yeah. I'll maybe mention it a couple more times uh, before the end of the month. But uh, yeah, get your skates on. Perfect, perfect. So I think there's two other pieces of news um, this week. Um, I'm always happy to see some of our 21 to watch previous winners. And this week it's Zampler and CGD who are in the news. So have you ever come across Zampler before, James? Yeah, the name rings a bell. But yeah, remind me what they do. Okay, so they, they've been going for about five years and they're on a mission to rid the planet of single-use plastic, which is only a good thing. They're actually a really interesting company to watch and they've just launched their first ever consumer brand. It's a, a, a thing called Morrow. And the really cool thing about Morrow materials are they're completely natural, right? So they can be edible, they can be soluble, which means if you're 
cooking something, you know, packaging and all can go in there. So you can, it can be cooked, it can be eaten together, and it can also break down with food waste as well. So if it ends up in the sea or in the ground, um, it will actually break down. So I think it's really exciting, you know, it's, it's been a, f- a few years in, in the running. So let's hope we start to see this stamp, this Morrow stamp appearing on products over the coming weeks, months and years. Yeah, I love that idea of just throwing the packaging in with the food and uh, it dissolving. That's very clever. Okay. Yeah. And as you mentioned, the other company this week uh, in the news is Cambridge GAN Devices. They have had a lot of mentions on the podcast over the last few weeks. They've rolled out another innovative first, the incorporation of an individual 2D barcode on a GAN chip, which can be read by a standard commercial co-reader. This is a great breakthrough providing vital data concerning process and ruggedness and reliability. Yeah. And the only other piece of news we have is actually an announcement. We have a winner for the James Ashton, the Everything Blueprint book, which we talked to him about in episode 52. So James, drum roll, would you like to announce the winner? I will. Yeah. It, it is the, uh, the well-known and much-loved Jamie Bignall from HSBC. Bravo to Jamie. And we'll, we'll have to grab him for a photo next time he's, he's, he's around, won't we? We will. Yeah, let's make sure we do that. The winner of our very first competition. Yeah, yeah. Um, So let's get on to today's episode. Um, This week marks our first anniversary of the podcast and joining us to look back on some of those key themes of the year and to find out a little bit more about him is Simon Thorpe, a high-profile Cambridge-based angel investor. So James, let's get that conversation started. So, Simon, welcome to the show. Perhaps we can start with maybe you giving us a short introduction to yourself. Well, James and Faye, it's a delight to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Very short introduction. So, as many people know, I'm an angel investor in many companies here in Cambridge and elsewhere in the UK. And I have a background as a research analyst, which is really how I got interested in technology and life sciences in the first place. I also have an entrepreneurial background. Both my parents were entrepreneurs, my mum and my dad. They ran different businesses. And that's kind of where where I've got the entrepreneurship in my blood. That's great. And what, what businesses did they run? Well, my, uh, my dad was actually a pilot and he decided he got heavily into uh, to engineering and designing uh, business furniture, in fact, and he had quite a few patents and uh, so he ran quite a little successful business. And my mum developed to what would you probably regard as an early version of eBay, where she used to set up a, it was a physical eBay, where you had to bring your, your old uh, antiques from the, you know, from the loft and you'd bring them along and mark them up and uh, she'd charge a commission on every sale. Uh, and then she'd invite lots of antique dealers and they all used to set out their stall and she used to make quite a lot of money. And that sort of got me interested in being an entrepreneur. I sort of thought, well, I can do this as well. So I used to go to auctions as a 15-year-old, buy up these lots, take them take them to my mum's uh, auctions and start selling things. So that that's really what whetted my appetite, really, for entrepreneurship. Yeah, that's brilliant that you've just inherited that spirit. You know, you've seen it, watched it, and then you you carry it on. It's great. Um, so, so you're here with us today. It is our, as we've said, it's our first birthday 
birthday. So we're delighted to have you here and we believe that you listen to the podcast. Yes, I do. Actually, it's my birthday today, funnily enough. Wow, uh, there's a birthday. certain Beatles song uh, <laughs> being played in the background to give you, give you a cryptic clue as to how old I am, which is a dreadful thought. We're really honoured to have you with us then. That's, that's brilliant. What a way to spend your birthday. Yeah. And, and maybe we should... Actually, that just reminds me, last week we were saying we were going to put bunting up and wear hats and everything. Oh, yeah. And James, that was your job yeah, and you didn't do job. it. Yeah, I failed already. And yeah. it could have looked like it was for your birthday. So anyway, Faye's rambling again, but there we go. So, okay, um, you've listened to some of the podcasts. What what do you think? What, what are some of the... the episodes that you've listened to? Yeah, so I've listened to quite a few episodes. I mean, you, you've got such a rich group of people to be able to draw on here in Cambridge. You know, so many interesting people you've had on, Herman Heuser, uh, Amelia at, uh, at Amadeus. You know, you've even had Peter Cowley, an ex-chair of Cambridge Angels. Yep. Uh, but, you know, so you've got so many interesting people, and so I've really enjoyed them. You had one with uh, Gerard Greck recently about Tech Nation. That was fascinating. I happen to know something about the about the, the UK ecosystem that you were talking about, and I quite often get asked to talk about, well, how does Cambridge differ from Bristol or Manchester or or Edinburgh? And uh, and I think that's really quite instructive to why certain clusters are doing the things that in the way they're doing them and why they're doing them really well or perhaps not doing them as well as they could do. Yeah. And I think it's also really important, you know, you work in Cambridge, but, you know, you, you go across the whole of the UK. I think it's really important that we always remember our place nationally, internationally as well. You know, so we do try and get some of those messages across um, on the podcast. Well, I think too. Pay, that's something that perhaps uh, isn't well enough understood through the UK. If you go back 20 years People didn't really understand this this shining beacon that was Cambridge. They really just had no idea what was going on. They didn't really know it was a tech and life sciences epicenter. They didn't know the strength of the of the knowledge economy that it is. And it, it's almost it struck me quite some time ago that it, it it should be a role model for the UK for the future of the UK economy because we're doing all the things here that UK is really good at and that are high added value. And so that's for me is something that's perhaps not been very well understood. It's getting better understood, thankfully. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just you, you mentioned Peter Cowley then, so it's just got me thinking, actually. So you were chair of Cambridge Angels, Peter Cowley chair of Cambridge Angels. We need to get Pam on, don't we, who's the current chair? We do. So so there's a bit of a story here. I mean, Pam is our first health tech chair, and uh, this has been a very strong theme for us in Cambridge Angels. So quite a few years ago, we realised uh, that... Cambridge was becoming very strong in life sciences as well as uh, as well as technology, and that was obviously helped by the arrival of AstraZeneca here in Cambridge. And so we thought, well, is our membership in Cambridge Angels reflective of the ecosystem? And we said, no, it's not really. We you know we had some we had some greats of healthcare like Jonathan Milner and Andy Richards and Sunil Shah, for example, but we didn't have as, enough of them. And so we worked out a strategy for how we could get more individuals into healthcare. Of course, that also helped us uh, attract some more women into the group because healthcare tends to have more women in the, in, in, in that sector. So uh, now we have a lot more women in our group. Uh, we didn't have any when I first joined Cambridge Angels. And of course, now we have a female chair in, in, in PAM. And as I said, she's our first health tech chair. So that's quite a, that's quite a change for us in terms of our strategy. And so for the listeners that are outside Cambridge, Cambridge Angels is a, is a local angel investor group, which is probably a good segue to start to talk about, you know, your portfolio and, and what you look for when you make an investment. So maybe you could give us some colour to the kinds of companies that uh, you've supported over the years and your investment criteria. Yes, uh, of course. I mean, first of all, so it might just be helpful for your listeners just to say that Cambridge Angels is essentially 
based uh, here in Cambridge, but most of our members are spread throughout the UK, even in California. So we're not just about Cambridge, but we're very focused on Cambridge and we invest in companies throughout the UK. But about 70% of the companies we invest in are in Cambridge and they are broadly, as I said earlier, tech and life sciences. They tend to be B2B. Uh, we very much look for intellectual property rich companies, IP rich companies. That's a theme probably we might return to later. And then in terms of my own portfolio, I guess as I started to get involved in Cambridge Angels nearly a decade ago, of course, my portfolio tended to reflect Cambridge Angels portfolio because naturally you see the deal flow that Cambridge Angels sees. And that was a very strong deal flow. And so, of course, I've invested in a lot of Cambridge Angels deals. Um, but personally, I've invested in, I think, 150 to 200 rounds in over 60 companies, largely in the uh, same in tech and uh, tech-enabled healthcare. Uh, companies like SwiftKey that were sold to Microsoft some time ago, VocalIQ sold to, sold to Apple, and so on. So that, that's, my focus has tended to be fairly similar. And we had a bit of a discussion with Peter, you know, uh, as you've already mentioned about, you know, his advice to someone listening that might would want to become an angel. What's the hit rate been like? You know, wh how how risky is the the angel investing game? It's very risky, uh, and you, uh, I think many people have said this. You have to be prepared to lose all the money that you've in, you're investing in these companies. Now, uh, if you've got some. Uh, modicum of uh, confidence and interest and knowledge, then hopefully you will do, you will do better than throw all your money down the drain. But I think it, it comes back to what venture capitalists often say. It's about the power law. It's 10% of your portfolio will deliver the returns. Yeah. Uh, and, that, and, and the VC say that. I think my experience as an angel is almost identical. Uh, you know, there will be outliers that deliver your return. And SwiftKey was a good example of that for me personally. Uh, Vocal IQ was too. Mm. Any anyone that you're invested in right now that you're particularly bullish about? Someone that we should get on the podcast? Well, somebody you have had on the po podcast, okay. of course, is Mohanthan from yes. uh, Mohanthan Dilai from Curate, and uh, I'm very bullish about uh, about that as an opportunity. Uh, partly because it's something we're probably going to talk about, which is you know how to identify good investments. Partly because it's an outstanding team. Uh, mm. Mohanthan and Alessandro have been outstanding te team. So that that's really important. Mm. Uh, also, very excited about Ingot, which is a which is a IP software company, which okay. uh, is very much focused on. First of all, we talked about intellectual property, but how do you classify your intellectual property? What is the value? It's not just about the patents, but you might have trademarks, uh, trade secrets, mm. copyrights. All these things go together to, and a brand, of course, mm -hmm. um, they all go together to create uh, intellectual property, which as we know in Cambridge, is a really strong part of the, of the value of, yeah. uh, of many of our companies. Uh, so, so there'd be two examples. And we were talking earlier about Cambridge GAN devices. You know, there's a, uh, there's a really interesting company led by Georgia, uh, Longabardi. Really interesting, really interesting market. You know, we know that the semiconductors is, is, a, is a big global market. Mm. So there's a few examples. Mm. So we we you know we're human beings we we build relationships don't laugh there's a, there's a point to this there's um <laughs> you know it's about building relationships so I, I'm kind of going back to the Mahunthan bit when he talked about you on the podcast and you're sitting there listening to it how did you feel when you got a personal shout out well it's, it's very nice of him but I mean I I think he he's a very good example of of somebody that is able to take 
to listen to advice. He's not going to listen to. He's not. He's not going to take uh, a, a decision on everything that I've said. But he takes it in. He. He. And and I think he he uses me as an investor in, in a very effective way. Uh, and he's he's very good at sending me a, a, a quick WhatsApp to say, "What do you think about this?" Uh, and I'll give him a view. And he, he's obviously doing that probably with four or five other people. And I know that he's. You know, I know he's thinking about these things. I know he's in. And so you're absolutely right, Faye. It is about the relationship. And the relationship between investors and their entrepreneurs is is really key. You know, you, as an investor, I want to I want to believe that I'm actually adding some value beyond my capital. Yeah, absolutely. So so let's pick that a, a little bit more if we can. What do you actually look for? What what's your I mean, I know you've obviously got the deal flow with Cambridge Angels, but what's your personal um, criteria for for making investments? What do you look for? Um, so there's a, they often use three T's: team, tech, and traction. Uh, the team is absolutely critical for me, and uh, I'm probably a bel- bigger believer in the team than perhaps all investors are as a as a whole. If the team's not right, then you will never have a successful investment. So, so that is the first thing. And I think you can fairly quickly tell with teams whether they're effective or not. And by a team, it needs to be a team. So sole founders are you know, something you've probably discussed on other podcasts, but sole founders are not generally a good thing. Fine if you want to run your own business without any external shareholders, but if you're taking other people's money, you need a team. And that usually means two people, and they're usually complementary in skill, one technical, one commercial. Uh, so that's the first thing, the team. The second thing is the tech. And so when I'm interested in the tech, I'm interested in it. Is there something that's technically differentiated? Um, and behind that, I, and this is where it comes to traction, the third T is, is what, what forward momentum have they got? Uh, is the market big enough? Is the business model developed? Do I think the business model is actually going to work? Is it is it realistic for that particular type of business? Um, and can you see a route to to market? You know, can you see, is it obvious who the customers are? Have the founders actually worked out who they're going to sell this technology to? Uh, it's all very well developing a fantastic technology, but if you haven't got any likely customers, then you're probably not going to have a, re- a real business. So that's kind of my thinking. And at that seed stage, are you looking for actual um, quantifiable successes, like say a you know a pilot with a potential customer, or is it more you just feeling convinced that the team knows the right questions to ask and has has thought it through, has a business model, you know, understands their competition, those kinds of things? Well, it's all of those things, but I, I think it, it, it is. I mean, this is another thing that perhaps is, uh, is is a Cambridge topic that comes up a lot, which is do we sell our companies too early? And right. It's clear, unfortunately, that we do sell many of our companies too early. I mean, I've had I've been lucky enough to have ten successful exits, and they've all been uh, trade sales. None of them have been IPOs. Yeah. And you could argue that some of those companies, like SwiftKey, for example, it was sold to Microsoft. Would it have been better if if investors invested more money? And SwiftKey had been allowed to develop, and maybe it would now be a major scale-up mm. rather than a bit of Microsoft. So I think I said. So I think that's a that is a, a big question that we're asking ourselves the whole time, mm. and that defines uh, your question, which is um, a company could be have a very clear piece of technology 
where it doesn't have any customers at all. In fact, Professor Steve Young has stood up and said that. You need three things in a company, great tech, great people, and absolutely no revenue at all. And when he, when he first said that, I, th- I thought, you know, a light bulb moment. It was a light bulb moment for me. I was thinking, yeah, that's right. If, if you want to sell your company as a technology, yeah. because Apple don't want your revenue, it's a problem for them. They yeah. just want that great piece of technology. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting way to think about it, isn't it? So, I mean, one of the reasons we started the podcast in the first place was to, I mean, we talked a little bit about this before the recording when we were grabbing a coffee. You know, there's just so many great stories to tell across, you know, Cambridge. It's almost unlimited. Um, but from your perspective, you know, how do you think the brand of Cambridge is perceived outside the city? And, um, you know, how can Cambridge, you know, grow and, and establish that leadership position globally as we move into the future? It's a great question. And I think... People typically think of the university when they hear mm. the word Cambridge. Um, but, I, but I think that's quite instructive because that is actually why Cambridge is what it is because it's got that very strong university uh, reputation. It's mm. got a very strong reputation around the STEM subjects. Uh, and that's really why, because of that STEM strength, that's why together with the development of commercial skills and develop with Cambridge Enterprise and then with the, the Judge Business School and with Cambridge Angels, the ecosystem has developed around that over a quite a long period of time, and really 50 plus years, but particularly in the last 20 or 25. Um, and as we know, you know, all the, these household names like Arm have have come from that ecosystem during during that time. Uh, so, so I think so. That I think they think of the university, they think of commercialising university IP, and I think they think of the word innovation. Uh, I think that's the for me, that's the the Cambridge brand. Of course, there are other places in the UK that are doing it, yeah, but they're not doing it in quite the same way that Cambridge is. Um, yeah, we we also have this question that comes up quite a lot, which is, you know, we're really good at doing these things, but do we think forward enough? Do we think about what the societal impact is on what we do? Why are we doing all of these things? You know, your example there about you have a market and, you know, you have a revenue stream and that's good for, for the startups, but actually why are we doing all of this stuff? So what what do you think we do enough um, in terms of the bigger picture or do you think we're just a little bit focused on technology and innovation for its itself? Well, I think that's exactly what Innovate Cambridge is about. And of course, as, as you well know, because you've been discussing it actively, uh, that's been a project that's been taking place over the last 18 months or so, which I've uh, been lucky enough to be involved in giving some input, uh, led by Cambridge Enterprise and Cambridge Innovation Capital. And uh, I, you know, I take my hat off to Cambridge that is actually not just resting on its laurels. It's saying, look, we are, we have got a very strong position. We can't be complacent. How is Cambridge going to look in 10 years' time? What things do we need to do to support the continued growth of innovation? What will Cambridge look like in 10 years' time? And I know you've discussed it a lot, Faye, but what, you know, what, what is the impact on, the, on Cambridge? You know, we don't have enough housing here. We don't have enough transport. We have a water problem. I mean, there's, there's not enough water to supply new houses. Um, so how are we going to solve those issues? And you almost need a just like Innovate Cambridge is trying to come up with a 10-year plan, we need a 10-year infrastructure plan. Yeah. And unfortunately, our the way that we work in government doesn't really work like that. Yeah. No, so, so you've obviously read our forward plan because Innovate Cambridge are on the on the podcast next week. So thanks oh, for that. Exciting. Thanks well, no, for that, I'm just that very con- I'm just very <laughs> conscious their summit is coming up on the 11th of October. So yeah. you know that's which I'll be going to, which is uh, which is kind of a key date for me. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just before we move off this subject, I'm kind of wondering in your experience of of working in Cambridge and, you know, investing in Cambridge, do you think there've been any hits and misses? Do you think there are any things that have, you know, entrance to the market that haven't quite worked out very well or things that you didn't realise was going to be a success? And and, and it, like Innovate Cambridge is obviously one of them, but even things like now with the semiconductor quantum strategies, our companies in Cambridge are actually actively involved in progressing those things. So do you think there's any hits and misses? Any hits and misses? That's a tough one. I mean, you you know, you're always an investor. You're always thinking, oh, that, I missed that. You know, there's the old FOMO fear of missing out on a, on a good deal. But you can't do, as an angel investor, you can't do every deal. Uh, and, I, and I think that's something I always just try to be realistic about. I want to try and invest in a few what I regard as high-quality companies where I think I can have some positive impact. Um, but there are some great companies that I know, like Riverlane, for example, in terms yeah. of you just talked about quantum computing, and Riverlane's just won all sorts of awards. Um, you know, I never got the opportunity to invest in that, but I recognize it's a great company and it's doing really cutting edge technology. And it's, so it's a great success for Cambridge. And so this is exactly the sort of thing I'd expect to see Cambridge doing. Yeah. So it is our first anniversary episode. Um, and in preparation, I know that's a surprise. We have done some preparation for this. Of course. <laughs> I've, we've gone back over the last 50 or so episodes to like pick out some themes that we've just seen, like, you know, reoccurring through the different conversations that we've been having. And we want to take advantage of having you, Simon, here to um, to just chat through, you know, say the top five or so that we, we spotted. Um, so we'll see how we go. Um, the first one is access to capital. And the, the and the the, kind of the global backdrop of a slowdown in venture funding and particularly high layoffs in tech businesses, especially in the United States. So, what's your what's your kind of confidence level right now in the market and, and having enough you know liquidity in the markets to support the next generations of startups over the next five or so years? Uh, so, it's a great question. It's very topical. Uh, clearly, markets are much more difficult. It's harder to raise capital, particularly for later stage private rounds. B, Series B, Series C rounds. Interestingly, the startup area is still largely the same. Uh, so there's still quite a lot of money around, partly because there are EIS and CDIS funds out there. So there is money at the startup stage. I think it's much more difficult at the scale-up stage. And this is back to the risk of selling companies too early, because if you haven't got that follow-on capital to allow companies to scale up, you know, if you haven't got more Cambridge Innovation Capitals, more Amadeus, more IQs, um, you know, and they will tell you this. They will say, look, you know, we're making a difference because we're investing our capital, but we haven't got unlimited capital. The depth of capital in the US is is, is much deeper than it is here in the UK and in Europe. Uh, so I think it's still a very live issue. Um, I mean, we'd all like to think market's going to pick up next year. Uh, you know, maybe they will, but yeah. um, <laughs> who am I to say? Um, so so capital could, does continue to be an issue. Deal flow sure. still healthy with Cambridge Angels, though? You haven't seen a slowdown on that side of things? No, we ha certainly haven't seen a slowdown. In fact, probably, if anything, we've seen an increase, and that's okay. partly because VCs, certainly in the first half of 2023, haven't been investing in, at the, the clip rate they were. Mm. Um, and when they are investing, it's probably a smaller deal size than before, small amount of money. So we're tending to see more things as angels that might previously have gone straight to a VC. Yeah, that's kind of interesting because, I mean, I remember, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, a Series A typically would be somewhere in the ballpark of 
a million to five million, and then it suddenly seemed to get to maybe more like a ten million Series A. So, do you think there's going to be a bit of right sizing there, back towards a little bit to where we were? Yeah, I think there was a, there was a fair bit of grade inflation in terms of in terms of the size of rounds, and and also in the way that rounds are described. You know, you'd often you'd yeah. often have this is a this is a, a pre Series A, or this yeah, is a yeah. Series A Super Plus, or right. or and what we're also seeing, of course, you should mention is we, we're also seeing attempts by entrepreneurs not to price their rounds. So we see convertible loan notes or we see safe structures, anything not to price around. That's a, that's very much a, right. a theme at the moment. Okay. Yeah. So the next topic then, talent and recruitment. So you'll have seen this with lots of your investments. And I remember when we had Ben Woodington on from Optus Bio, you know, very interesting early stage company. And they're saying, actually, originally they wanted to have everyone here local, but the reality is they want the right people for the job. So they've now got a very bespoke um, growing workforce. So what what's your view on the challenges of access to talent and do you think that, you know, the globalisation effect is is right for some of our businesses? Uh, so talent is probably one of the biggest topics that we discuss at Cambridge all the time, or Cambridge Angels rather, all the time. Um, it is, you know, if you have STEM skills and you have coding skills, you are going to be hugely employable. And I've seen I've seen this through, you know, my, my, my children's peer group. Uh, those who don't have uh, STEM skills and don't code you know, are a huge disadvantage. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's almost binary, really. Um, you, and, and unfortunately, it starts at schools. Schools are still, the curriculum is still very poor in terms of encouraging STEM subjects, particularly among the girls, um, you know, which is a disaster because if you don't, if you're not well equipped for the digital revolution if you don't have those core skills. Um, so, so talent is the biggest issue, I think, for all of my companies. I think it's also an issue at board levels as well, because I think you find that um, you often find, I mean, I don't think I've ever been on a functional, a fully functional private company board. They're always, in my view, dysfunctional. You usually have the wrong people on the board in the sense that the people that are on the board tend to be the people that are put there either to represent the investors' interests or because they've got some historic connection, not because they've got the right skill set to add value on that particular board. And this is a theme, again, that we discuss a lot. Um, it's quite hard to change boards, mm. really hard. You know, it's really hard to. You, know, you say, well, actually, we need a bit more diversity on the board. Yes, yes, um, that's a good idea, but uh, we'll put it in the too difficult to do pile. And, you know, a year later, it's, nothing's happened. So it's it's hard. It's hard. And, I th- and so, um, so I think it's a fascinating, you know, it's back to relationships, isn't it? Yeah. That you were talking about earlier. And so uh, something that I've seen a lot, you know, Vivid Q have done it. I'm trying to think of some other examples off the top of my head and I can't. Um, They have two boards. So they have the board that runs the business and then they have the tech or the scientific advisory board. Is that a way of getting around it as well? So you you can segment a little bit that, yes, your board has to be the funders and those those key um, people. Yeah, it can be. Yes, it absolutely can be. Uh, I mean, a lot of companies have an operating board, a management board. Uh, which is which is meeting much much more regularly, and then you might have a perhaps a six times a year or four times a year uh, full board, which is much more about the. You know, most of the decisions are not actually taken in the board. Um, you know, most of the major discussions and decisions are taken probably outside the board, but they should be ratified at the board. Uh, so um, yeah, so back to your question about talent, it's a key issue. Uh, something Cambridge can think about doing, of course, is is attracting talent from other universities in the UK. 
And, uh, you know, for example, Manchester has got huge numbers of computer science grads and engineering mm. grads um, being, uh, being, being graduating every year. Um, and that's, you know, that's why Cambridge, is, Cambridge and Manchester are actively talking about those sorts of subjects. Yeah. Just one last question on talent before we move down the list. Um, I'm intrigued to understand your perspective as an investor into a business because you, you touched on the importance of team. I guess in that context, it was more about the founding team. But as a company scales, um, you know, Faye touched on finding talent wherever it is, regardless of its geographical location. Um, maybe an outcome of the pandemic is more flexibility in workplace. We talked about the kind of constraints of the city supporting a growing population, so that may be another driver to have remote teams. So as an investor, do, do you feel comfortable with companies scaling and having more remote employees, but still managing the kind of the culture and making sure that everyone is pulling in the same direction and they still have that sense of common, you know, uh, goal of, of driving the company forward? Yeah, I think uh, so. The remote working brings its own set of challenges. And yes, yeah, some companies have adapted it to to it very well. You have to have a very clear strategy. I, I remember this, but as a as a as a research analyst, you would, you know, and I used to work all over the world, and I used to work with businesses in thirty five different countries. And if you send people in thirty five companies the same email with a, what you think is a very clear message, the thirty five recipients will read it differently. <laughs> And they'll, even though you think your instructions are perfectly clear, culturally, they'll receive a different message. So I, so I think remote working brings those sorts of challenges. You think you've set a very clear objective for everybody. You think everybody's working to that objective, but you find they're not. Um, where I think my experience so far, and again, we discuss this a lot in Cambridge Angels, certain functions work very well. So if you're a software engineer, you're quite happy just doing your engineering and doing, doing your coding and um, you're not reliant on lots of social interaction. But if you're in marketing or sales, you probably want to sit around a table like we're doing now with four or five of you where you're all having conversations with your clients and I'm, I'm thinking, well, James got a really good idea. He's talking with that client. I'll, I'll employ that in my next conversation. And then Faye's saying, oh, she's Faye's saying something very interesting there. So you're getting those, those sort of dynamics. So I think it, it does depend on the function. Yeah, interesting. High-performance computing and AI is being used to positively transform society and the environment, from powering applications that support vaccine research to accelerating our response to climate change. KO Data develop and operate sustainable and energy-efficient data centres for advanced computing. Our scalable, state-of-the-art architecture supports the mission-critical workloads of life sciences, biotech and AI startups in Cambridge. To find out how we can reduce your digital carbon footprint, get in touch at kodata.com slash contact. KO Data, proud to sponsor the Cambridge Tech Podcast. So let's move on to the next. Do you feel like you're being grilled here? Oh, it's good. This yeah, is good. I yeah. <laughs> It's, well, it's just great to get different different opinions as well. So technologies now. So there's obviously been AI um, in, in the news an awful lot. We've talked about Riverlane on quantum. What do you think are the exciting technologies that are coming up now? Well, there's so many, but I... Can you explain quantum to us? Yeah, can I explain quantum computing? <laughs> I've got a book. Yeah. I don't think that worked though, did it? Let's not do that now because that <laughs> no, would be a much yeah, bigger yeah. topic. But, uh, yeah, but we can have that discussion. 
But let's let's just think about technology. Uh, I mean, it may sound trite to say, but artificial intelligence is a huge buzzword, and it's a buzzword for a reason, and that is because the power of artificial intelligence is, is uh, as Azim Azar says, exponential. You know, I think we're all grappling with its power, and that's why we're very. You know, a lot of people are very rightly concerned about the ethical sides of, of of artificial intelligence. But we're at a point now where having Chat GPT four, four and a half, wherever we are, has been has been launched, and many companies, some of my companies, are have already implemented an API of Chat GPT, uh-huh. and they're already doing some very interesting things with it. You know, there's a there's an application that you can put a large document into and say, please summarize this document. And I've tried it, and it's fantastic. You know, you suddenly you get sort of six key points, uh, and it saves you reading some turgid 50-page document. So these things are potentially huge productivity improvers, provided they're used properly. And provided you also, as the, as the, as the user, understand that you shouldn't be reliant on, on them. Uh, but of course, <laughs> of course, many people take it as read, and <laughs> then you get all sorts of problems. So, so I think artificial intelligence is probably the one of uh, the thing that everybody's going to going to talk about right now. But, but there are lots of different technologies uh, being employed. You know, for example, in life sciences, you know, you you had Mohanthan from Curate on. Uh, you know, look at the way he's employing artificial intelligence and um, data curation and imaging digital imaging in lung disease. That's just one application, but you've got all these different applications going on across the whole of life sciences. So, yeah. Yeah, certainly lots happening, isn't there? Um, Should we talk politics? If we have to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What do you think, you know, what's your view on the, the role of government in technology? You know, should they be involved? Are they writing big enough checks to actually make us globally competitive? So, uh, so lots of things. I mean, do, so in a sense, uh, you know, actually, government should have a a very clear strategy. And it, so, this isn't. You know, I'm not. I'm not going to be sort of commenting and politically here at all. What I would like to see government, whoever it is, I'd like to have them. I'd like to see them have a very clear strategy for the UK's economy. Uh, we have supposedly an industrial strategy. I'm not sure if they know what indus- industry actually means. So, for example, I think they still think you actually got to physically make something. Well, guess what? In Cambridge, we hardly physically make anything. Now, I'm not suggesting we shouldn't make things. We should. But our value in the global economy is in making intangible things. It's the digital world th- that we excel at. Um, so, so that's the first point. I'd like to see a clear and coherent strategy. I'd also like to understand that levelling up is really about levelling up, not levelling down. Yep. I, I'm very concerned that we're going to level down. That wasn't help anybody. And I'd also like to see a recognition. I'd like to see government celebrate success. I'd like to see success promoted. So, we don't, and we don't tend to see that. It's it's very sort of negative. News flows far too negative. Um, we should perhaps be celebrating the top end entrepreneurs each year. We should be giving clear signals about the sectors that we think really matter to the UK and that are strategically important to us. Now, we're having to think about some of those things because of the geopolitical position in the world has changed for the worse. Yeah. Um, but, you know, China is a good example at the moment. Um, 
when David Cameron was in power, you know, he, he was famously in the pub uh, with uh, with the Chinese leader, and uh, and since then the relationship with China has deteriorated. Now, again, do we have a strategy for doing business with China? I don't think we do, and we must have a strategy because we can't not do business with China. And by the way, this isn't this isn't just a UK problem; it's a European wide yeah. problem. Germany and France have the same issue. Yeah, no, I mean it's 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 really interesting, isn't it? And it's it's funny because you, you mentioned the industrial strategy. We've had the industrial strategy, the science and innovation audit. Um, we've now got DSET. You know, it just kind of seems to be let's just rebadge it, relabel it, write another load of reports, and what we're missing is the actual doing. So, you know, having that showcase of really good businesses, you know, those kinds of things. It's like it's mar it's a marketing one oh one. Of, of, of how to do it, but somehow we don't seem to be able to to progress with that. So it's challenging. And interestingly, on the China subject, we have Ting Zhang coming on from Crayfish, going to be talking a little bit about that as well. Um, probably not into the political side of things, but I think you're right. You know, things like that, we have to have a strategy of working internationally. And it's not, it's, it's, it's hard for our startups and our scale-ups to know what they're actually supposed to be doing. That's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see government give much more leadership, that business is a good thing, R&D is a good thing, and, you know, incentivise companies to, to, you know, to, to invest in R&D. Now, we do it with R&D tax credits, mm. but at the bigger company stage, the scale-up stage, we could give a much clearer signal that R&D is important. Yeah. I wanted to come back to your point about celebration. Um, it's a real personal bugbear that there isn't that aspirational quality to being an entrepreneur necessarily in the UK. I mean, you you came from a family of entrepreneurs, so I guess that was kind of almost in your DNA from day one. But there seems to be this lack of role models, you know, for people to look up to. Whereas in the US, the leaders of successful startups and technology businesses are very well known, maybe too much when you look at people like Elon Musk, for example. But in the UK, you know, it, you struggle to get past maybe Branson, maybe Dyson on the engineering side of things. Stephen Bartlett maybe is cutting through on the mainstream as someone as a modern young entrepreneur, but it feels like we're lacking that in the UK. Yeah, I think I, it's very disappointing when you go to schools that you, you ask you ask you ask the fifteen and sixteen year olds you know, to name a name a business role when they then they come up with Alan Sugar and yeah. uh, and, and Richard Branson you go and, yeah. and then you say and then you try to say can you name me a female entrepreneur yep. and they and they're completely stuck even yep. the girls they can't even name one and they'll name you 10 pop stars yep. so so that is depressing but if you think about our own ecosystem you know we have got role models you know we've talked about some already Jonathan Milner mm -hmm. Herman Heuser you know they, they, I mean Emma Sinclair in 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 London one of my female role models yeah. um you know, there, there's lots of great entrepreneurial role models. So we, but we need to we need to promote them more. We need to promote they're not them in the mainstream, success. are they? They're yeah. not. They're not really in the mainstream. And it's kind of partly that business in the in the UK has become a bit of a dirty word um, because because the people that are associated more are the sort of asset strippers. You know, you, you you get my point. Yeah. So you touched there on female entrepreneurs. I think that was the final one on our list of you know the, the trends that we're seeing and. I think it was you've you've certainly got a reputation in in Cambridge as being a real champion of female entrepreneurs. And one of the first questions or challenges you gave us as you came in this morning was, why aren't you having more female entrepreneurs on the podcast? Which was a great challenge. So, you know, where are we? Uh, you know, how far have we come? How much more have we got to do? W you know, what's your scorecard on on that situation? 
Yeah, so it's a it's a great question. I mean, I so where are we? Well, there's sort of the graph is 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 a hockey stick, and we're we're sort of at the bottom of the mm. the hockey stick. You know, we are, we are making some improvement. I mean, the the positive thing is. In Cambridge Angels, we see far more female entrepreneurs now than we did just five years ago, and certainly a lot more than 10 years ago. That's the good news. Um, the less good news is, you know, the, you've seen the VC statistics, you know, the proportion of funding that uh, females get is about one and a half percent thereabouts, you know, which is appallingly low. So what, you know, so what are we going to do about it? And now part of that is, is a lack of recognition that VC funding isn't the right answer for everybody. Oh. You know, there's plenty of ways of funding a company. You know, you could even get your customers to fund the company. How about that? <laughs> that's that's, a, that's rather old-fashioned, isn't it? There's a thought. <laughs> uh, and actually, many women have done that yeah. in the past. You know, you often, I always used to remember, they used to have this, I think it stopped it now, they used to have this feature in the FT of an entrepreneur who's, you know, built a successful business and it's sort of, you know, tell, tell your story. And, and often you'd read about a woman who's built a business that, Nobody's ever heard of because it hasn't had any, you know, any sort of high-profile funding. Probably growing it themselves, bit of investment from the family, built some amazing business. But you wouldn't hear it; it wouldn't appear in those stats. So I think so. We do have to be a little bit careful about that. So, so stats are probably not quite as bad as that, but it's it's got to change. And in time, it will change because the more you, the more female entrepreneurs you coming through. You know, we talked about Georgia Longabardi. The more of more of those types of highly qualified women in the right space, i.e., in, in her case, in semiconductors, the more this is going to happen. And and I think there are a lot. I remember sitting at an event um, a good few months ago now, and and someone in the audience raised the, the same question, and the answer from the panel was, "Yeah, well, there aren't very many." And I'm I'm literally sitting on my hands. Emmy Nichol was in the audience; she was probably sitting on her hands because you can name so many of them. You know, there there are a lot, but we've got to raise the profile. You know, we, if you can see it, you believe it, you can do it. You know, so so I do think there are a lot. And going back to the podcast, we do invite a real mixed audience on it. But we don't, I mean, we've had Lucy Young on, we've had Yana yeah. Voigt, you know, we have had a fair few, but, you yeah. know, actually we also need to encourage everyone to step up and, you know, showcase themselves because then it equals out. So, so I think there is a little bit of a myth that there's, I think there are more than we think there are. Do, do you agree with me or do you, or not? Uh, no, I, I think there are a lot. I mean, you you know, Lucy's a great example. I mean, I'm not an investor in Charco Neurotech, but, you know, she is, she's a fantastic role model. You know, she's young, vibrant, enthusiastic. You know, she really knows her subject. She's doing something really challenging. I mean, scientifically really challenging. Yeah. And uh, she's got some good investors. She's got good support around her. She's also smart enough to work out the sort of network she needs around her to maximise her chance of success. So, so I think, I mean, they, they are out there. Um I mean, we could sit here, you know, Carmen at New Quantum, you know, I mean, Quantum again, you know, well, she's, she's, she's a theoretical in... physicist. Yeah. She? Yeah, <laughs> she, the... And, you know, again, she's an incredibly, I've met her a few times. So again, I'm not an investor, but she's an incredibly impressive woman. Yeah. And she's doing it all in her second language. She's Spanish, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. You know, even more impressive. Yeah. So, so I mean, maybe that maybe that's a call. We should get we should get Gemma on the social media actually showcasing more of these. You know, if we can't we can't always get people on the podcast because they're busy. You know, they've got they've got other priorities, but we can still showcase them and try and change that conversation yeah. a little bit. Yes. yes, you can. Yeah, you can. So I don't know. I hope I've left you with an impression that it's getting better, but there's a, there's a, there's a long way to there's a long way to go. Yeah. 
and I, and I think you leading on that, you know, and I know you work with Angel Academy and, and um, other other groups as well. So I think people watching you do it, it opens other people's minds as well. Yeah, a quick it? plug for Angel Academy because they've done a lot of great work and uh, they're predominantly, as the name suggests, predominantly female angel network with a few guys in it. I've been a member since pretty much since the beginning, so about eight years. Uh, and actually their investment philosophy is quite similar to Cambridge Angels. They are wanting to invest in tech and life sciences. Yeah. And... Um, Interestingly, when they first started, they got a bit fed up with sort of yet another sort of app idea, but they they've moved on. I mean, that's another point actually we should maybe touch on is a lot of you know femtech, for example. I mean, it's it's, it's a sort of rather loosely, uh, but if you think about female health issues, mm-hmm. you know, typically you'd have a load of blokes talking about it when they knew nothing about it. It's much better for, and there are some companies now dealing with the menopause. It's a massive it's a massive problem. It's big market, obviously, because 50% of the world's population. Uh, and there's some great companies out there trying to address those issues. But it's much better that a woman talks about those issues when they've actually had first-hand experience of it, <laughs> which I won't as a man. Yeah. Probably a benefit that did come out of COVID was that it was personalised medicine was much better understood. So the, the dose that you would have a particular drug would be different from mine. Um partly because you're a woman, partly because I'm a man, but it could be for all sorts of different reasons. It could be because you've got a different genetic makeup, you know, you, you, you're from an Indian heritage rather than an English heritage or whatever it is, you know. So yeah. those those things actually have perhaps been better understood as a result of, uh, the, of, of the pandemic. So there's some good news that's come out of that. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I could carry on this conversation forever, but I think we'd, we'd, we'd better not. Um, so I guess final question what are you looking forward to? What things can you see coming up on the horizon that we should be watching out for? Well, see, I'm, I've got lots of exciting companies I'm excited about, looking forward to you know, some, some of those. We have talked about artificial intelligence. I think we're going to see lots of exciting stuff taking place during next year. I mean, I haven't even mentioned Unlikely AI, which is William Tunstall Pedo's company here in Cambridge. You know, he was the founder of Alexa. Yep. You know, that, that's another inch. I mean, there's somebody else you should have on the podcast. Oh. Um, Write that down. Uh, you know, so so I'm very excited about that. I, I mean, I hope we are going to come closer to some form of economic and industrial strategy. I think there's been a lot of discussion. We haven't talked about it today, but a lot of discussion about pension fund money. And uh, I think there are, mm. you know, hopefully there will be more pension fund money in the early and sort of scale up private company space. So I think I think that's potentially exciting. We haven't talked about interest rates, of course, and we've now got a real cost of capital. And back to your earlier point about funding, we have now got a real cost of capital, whereas we didn't have one before. I think that's going to settle down. People will get used to that. And so I'm looking forward to that settling down and then hopefully the, the market's starting to recover a bit. So, um, But I'm very positive about the outlook for Cambridge. I think there's so many exciting things going on here. So even though I'm no longer the chair of Cambridge Angels, I'm still a fully paid up fee paying member and I can go back to concentrating on my deals rather than facilitating all these highly qualified, intelligent <laughs> cats, feral cats as I call them. <laughs> the cats is another theme that comes yeah, up regularly, yeah. isn't it? Uh, Cambridge is full of cats. Yeah. Feral well, ones. Yeah. Yeah. Well that's been fantastic and you know, I appreciate you taking the time out, Simon, to to talk to us today. Thank you for having me. Great discussion. Thank you very much. And happy birthday. Yes, thank you. So that was a really great chat with Simon there and fun to look back over some of the topics that we've seen over the past 12 months. So there you go. It's been a year. What? It's gone quick, hasn't it? It's gone very quickly, yes. What's, what's been your highlights? What's your favourite bits of the past year? Oh, um, 
my favourite bits? I think just having more detailed conversations with people and, you know, just just being able to ask questions. I think we're, we've been quite reserved on some of our questions sometimes, haven't we? I think we, we naturally, when the, when the podcast is before it started or, or when it's finished, we've actually then asked the questions we really want to ask. So I'm <laughs> yeah. not sure whether we should start adding those in. Game but I, th- I, think, I think it's just been great. We've just met a lot of people. And, you know, ultimately we're a startup and we're still going after a year. So mm. what's, what's your favourite bits? Well, kind of similar, really. I think it's been working together as a team with uh, Carl and yourself. It's, we have fun. That's the main thing. And I think, you know, we've we've said this a few times in the interviews. There just seems to be an endless supply of interesting people to talk to. So it feels like we're only scratching the surface, which is great. If if it felt like we kind of it had run its course and we were flogging a dead horse every week, it would be a bit harder to motivate ourselves but i think we're not even scratching the surface well i'm glad to hear that you don't think we're flogging a dead horse james <laughs> honestly you're, again i don't know if that uh, expression translates internationally <laughs> i keep having to catch myself um so numbers you i remember one of the previous episodes you started asking me random questions on numbers so i'm going to do the same to you so how how many listeners do we have um so we've i think we're, we're coming over nearly 8000 downloads now Okay. And is it 60-odd countries off the top of my head? Uh, I think it's 68. 68 countries. There you go. And where where do they come from? Most of them in the UK, as you'd expect, and the USA. So uh, hello to all our listeners in America. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then a massive long tail of lots of other countries. And they're all pretty senior as well. You know, the LinkedIn data suggests, you know, a real mix of CXO director, yeah. business owner level listeners. So Yeah, um, that, that's a, a good reminder to anyone that does listen to this show. Please follow us on LinkedIn because it allows us to kind of get a better feel for the audience because we don't tend to get that data from the podcasting platforms. So if you aren't following the show on, on LinkedIn, please give us a search and give us a follow. Yeah, and you you started a newsletter as well, didn't Mm, you, on the back of the LinkedIn as a bit of a recap each month? That's right, yeah. I mean, obviously, we'd love to think everyone tunes in every Sunday to listen to every episode, but we know everyone is busy. So uh, every month on LinkedIn, we issue a kind of a recap of the previous month with some highlights. So it gives you an opportunity to spot something that you might be interested in that you didn't hear at the time it went out. Um, I think we should do a shout out to our supporters um, who who really do contribute to the podcast. So we've got Mantle, KO Data, Growthworks, Business Weekly, Cambridge TV. And, you know, as you've just said, you you know, we work really closely with Carl and Joe and the production qualities. People comment on it. So so I think that's, you know, a little round of applause. Um, Carl and Joe make us sound good, which is no mean feat. (laughs) (laughs) nice Um, and then we have lots of partners as well and I think that's the other thing we've done this year that kind of adds a little bit of a different flavour and you listeners can tell us whether you agree but going out onto the road going to events Mm. you know doing the competitions um, showcasing the awards I think that's all really it it gives just a little bit of a flavour of Cambridge too doesn't it it does yeah yeah so guess that begs the question then we're a year in what have we got planned for year two um i think so the ecosystem map has gone down really well because uh, 
it's really inclusive. So we're not coming at it from the angle of a specific segment. We're kind of showcasing the entire ecosystem. So we've done a little bit of a jazz up of that, um, which is all go out on social media and is obviously on the website. Yeah. Um, and we we think we're going to start doing the news and updates a little bit differently, aren't we? As regular listeners will know, we have a partnership with Business Weekly. We want to make more of an emphasis on the news because there's so much interesting stuff going on, um, which will be a nice complement to then the interviews that we do as well or the events that we cover. So we're going to start opening each episode with a bit of a deeper dive into the news and without making any promises, if we can, grab some spokespeople that are featured in the news that week to maybe come on and just give us some topical insights in terms of the breaking headlines. Uh, that's our ambition. We'll see if we pull that off or not. Yeah. And um, going back to the Cambridge Tech Week episode, when we talked about the tech ecosystem supporting the broader Cambridge community, um, we kind of looked at ourselves and went, well, actually, what are we doing to be able to support that? So starting from this very episode, we're actually going to offer up a slot um, on the podcast to the charities and, and community interest companies um, within Cambridge to promote themselves as well. And obviously, we're going to do that free of charge. We are, yeah. So a reason to keep listening to the end of every episode because we want to, as Faye says, you know, feature some of the amazing work that's going on, you know, in within the city. And our first one is Form the Future, which you'll hear in about two minutes' time. Well, if we stop talking <laughs> in, about, in about two minutes' time. But actually, it's, it's perfect serendipity here because Simon in the podcast just now talked about the importance of STEM and that's what Form the Future are, are focusing on both form the future and you know with Cambridge Launchpad. So yeah, just definitely stay and and, and listen into that because you'll you'll find out more about the charitable innovation that goes on in Cambridge as well. Yeah. So as we kind of wrap up this first year, um, if anyone wants to get involved, if you have a startup or if you're involved in the ecosystem and want to come on and talk about what you do, get in touch. Um, if you want to support us through our kind of advertising and sponsorship, we'd love to talk to you about that too. Um, and of course, if you listen and think this is kind of interesting, encourage your friends to uh, subscribe and just help spread the message. Absolutely. And that's it. Um, thank you very much for listening in. Next week, we have Innovate Cambridge on talking about how we're going to increase the innovation proposition both within Cambridge and going out of Cambridge. So um, speak to you next week. Today's show was produced by Carl Homer of Cambridge TV and supported by our media partner, Business Weekly. The Cambridge Tech Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms and on cambridgetechpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star review. It will really help others discover the show. If you are a startup looking to grow in Cambridge, the Bradfield Centre offers a range of flexible membership packages which put you in control of your office and home working mix. There's a vibrant, collaborative atmosphere, on-site cafe, plenty of green outside space and regular member social events. For more information, visit bradfieldcentre.com or call 01223 919 600. 
Do you have a passion to inspire the next generation of scientists, coders, managers and creative geniuses? Or do you want to pay back to the community as part of your CSR objectives? At Form the Future, we have programs to help you inspire the next generation of workers, build your future talent pipeline and invest in your people. Go to formthefuture.org.uk to find out more.